Welcome in. It's the latest edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you as we are now at about the midway point between the start of preseason camp for Penn State and the start of their regular season schedule, August 31st in Beaver Stadium against Idaho. Uh, we've got some notes to get to from a Wednesday practice availability. Sean and I are going to both throw out some names that we think are X-factors for this 2019 Nittany Lions squad, players who could make or break uh, this season and uh, depending on how things go and then of course uh, we're going to touch on some recruiting content a new commitment date has been set for a player who's been on Penn State's target board for a while Uh, additionally we're going to tap back into that 2020 class for another interview Nick Dawkins was uh, exceptional last time he set a high bar we have Kaziah Holmes joining us this time he's the newest member of this recruiting class uh, speaking with him five days after his commitment so you'll hear from him a little bit later in the show but first off Sean as I said um, you know ready or not it's all of a sudden we're right about that midway point uh, where football felt so fresh a couple weeks ago and now there's more of a sense of urgency in the air as kickoff is approaching well we're recording on a thursday it's august 15th we're halfway through august uh jim harbaugh is feuding with luke fickle for some reason rutgers is suing a high school for using their logo uh it's, it's football just needs to get here man i mean we're so close and we're it's just you can taste it and then we just got to wade through all this bs and just go through it but luckily we got some practice access last night so we'll get right into that um wednesday takeaways uh you spoke with james franklin i had to, to, to bolt a little bit for a softball playoff game um obviously that's the the priority but uh, no i mean it's uh wednesday night you saw a little bit more of that defense that we've been talking about all preseason a lot of speed there uh, a lot of pressure off the edge and they're playing around with a lot of combinations and that's i think one thing that we came uh came away talking uh you myself and mark brennan talking about practice was you know whoever's out there whether it's jason away disa isaac or somebody's getting pressure off the edge doesn't really bode well for the offensive tackles that we've seen but that defense is is so fast it's been around the ball and just at, at every level no matter who you're playing in there we saw charlie catcher playing uh with the first i guess we'll call him first team i mean you can't really take that as a depth chart saw charlie catcher playing some sam beside micah parsons and jan johnson so everybody out there is uh you know it, it seems like from from one to eleven you've got something that's that's sort of developing well yeah we saw keaton ellis and and joey porter out there with with you know lamont wade and garrett taylor in the defensive backfield it was an interesting combination and and you know obviously we didn't see the uh depth chart uh, playing out out on the field but it does go to show there is so much athleticism on the field and everywhere you look you know that guy was a four-star that guy was a five-star this guy was a top 100 prospect and you know the, that's been the plan for penn state is to construct a roster where you can go three deep on the football field in a lot of positions and feel great about what you're putting on the field I, I i certainly know as 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 inspired as they were by some of those players who really stepped up back in in the early part of franklin's tenure you know he said it at practice last week terry smith said it the depth is night and day compared to, to the early years and even when they were on their their big 10 championship run 2016 versus what they've got on the field for training camp right now so we'll see what they can put together here they got a couple more weeks to get to get those pieces in place but um going back to the beaver stadium uh, uh scrimmage they that they went into there and, and uh, obviously that's closed off from the media. It's something that, that Sean had touched on a little bit in, in the past episode. But, you know, Franklin was describing kind of the takeaways from there. And he went right to that defense being long and fast. And, and he's, 
there's not a lot of times where Franklin talks to us after these practices where, it, you know, it, it, it doesn't feel like he's kind of anticipating what he's going to say. But when that question was brought up, you could kind of see his imagination, uh, you know, taking flight a little bit about this defense. And, and it just sounds like, you know, no matter who they're rolling out there, Brandon Smith, Keaton Ellis, uh, you know, the young guys, the new guys, Adiza Isaac, um, there's just a lot of confidence and swagger there. And, and at the same time, you got to feel for this offense a little bit, but um, you know the opponents are not going to feel sorry for Penn State's offense when they got in the field this year. So uh, as we said last week, they're they're going to be taking their lumps in August, uh, and, and they're going to have to find a way to to build up that resolve and, and bounce back. It's it's not a cakewalk for this offense right now. Going to be really interesting to see them going against another Division One team. You know this this, but they're not going to come up against too many defenses of the caliber of what they're seeing every day in practice. But still, at the same time, they got to get their feet under them. They got to develop a, a little bit. That starts at quarterback. Uh, still, no quarterback uh, call from James Franklin, even though you know we continue to expect it to be Sean Clifford. But they got to start at some point. I think I think Franklin admitted it a little bit. Uh, the offense has started to get them a couple of times, and and if this offense can get this defense, you know that's a that's a pretty good spot to be in. So, um, not sure, you know. If we put them out on a level, obviously the defense is going to be ahead. The defense is always ahead at this point. And, and you know, if it, if it was uh, flip-flopped, you'd be in trouble because this defense couldn't keep you in the game. But I think this defense is going to be good enough, deep enough, long enough, and it sets up really well with the schedule um, to, 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 to give this offense a chance to get their feet underneath of them. Um, that's going to start with Clifford, you, but but it's also going to develop, you know, along that offensive line. We talked about the six guys closest to the ball is going to de- determine the, the – the, uh, I guess the overall how successful this team can be. I mean, w- when you get to the ideal, uh, you know, Big Ten championship comp- contending for a playoff, you're going to have to have those guys on the same page. You're going to have to ga- have those guys make some strides. Um, so far with the offensive line, it's been tough to gauge because they've been beaten up from when we've seen them. But, you know, w- we'll see where it comes in September and they'll, they'll make some moves from that. They got a lot of talent up there. I think they'll they'll be okay. I just don't I think people are waiting for us to tell them that the offensive line is going to be a strength. And that's something that we've talked about on Lions 24-7 on the boards is people keep waiting for us to hype them up. And, and until we see it, you and I have talked about this, until we see it, we're not going to we're not going to go there. We've been there before and we've been wrong before. So not going to go there. Got a lot of talent. It's got to come together. Those veterans, uh, Gonzalez and Mennett and, and Will Fries, who we'll get to in a little bit, have to step up and have to be those guys that, that we thought they were. We got mended after practice for for a little while yesterday after speaking with Franklin and and he kind of re you know reaffirmed exactly what we just spoke of you know this offensive line groups out there and and they see Spencer send in a, a, his second squad essentially um, and, and there, he just says there's no fall off that there, there are there is no fall off where you know we got our first team offensive line out there and they bring in you know their backups uh, you know quote unquote backups in the front seven. It, it, it's relentless, and I think you know that is going to hypothetically make this offense, uh, you know, more prepared to roll and 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 better up to the task. You'd imagine in crunch time this season, but um, you know they're going to have to go prove that on the football field in, in front of everybody. And and we get ten minutes on there, and and so far it's you know it's been pretty clear who's getting the better of that battle, and, and it's not necessarily surprising. Last week, last Wednesday, we mentioned uh, Itor Grossmatos came crashing down on Sean Clifford, and unfortunately, you don't hit 
quarterbacks. I can say the same thing about Micah Parsons. He had a very clear shot at Clifford, I think, who then kind of trotted a little bit downfield. But in a game situation, Micah Parsons is going to destroy whoever is ahead of him right there, especially matched up with the running back. I don't, you know, no offense to Ricky Slade. I just don't see any running back on the on the opposing schedule this year who's going to stop Micah Parsons on a blitz and one-on-one uh, situation. So, uh, yeah, it, it's been really impressive for that group. Uh, you know, and that safety, we saw Lamont Wade come up with a heck of a play. Uh, Sean, uh, the first play of the game, uh, first play of the of the practice period yesterday that we got access to, I think a lot of people probably didn't see it because we were walking in, but but he basically went sky high, uh, you know, came out of nowhere from what I saw. Daniel George was kind of uh, shrieking down the field. Cliff- Clifford appeared to have him with the stride heading towards the end zone potentially, and then Lamont Wade pops up, and he did not come down with the interception, but it was the final play of that period, and you can tell it meant a lot to the defensive players. They were hyped up. Uh, Lamont Wade got up looking confident, and, and, and then it shifted into a new period, so we didn't have a full understanding of what was going on there. But I think Lamont Wade's in a great spot still uh, alongside Garrett Taylor and, and Penn State staff, Terry Smith last week, James Franklin this week, really reiterating that they like what they have with those four safeties, Garrett Taylor, Lamont Wade, Jaquan Brisker, Jonathan Sutherland. Each of these guys have played, you know, are entering their third year of college football. Brisker making a big jump, but he was extremely successful at the at the junior college level. And that's important because injuries happen. And, and I'll tell you another thing at safety you got to always be wary of now, that targeting penalty. We saw it pop up last year and, and, and cost guys time. I'm certainly anticipating that again this year. So I think you will need to go to your second safety in, in, in several situations. Yeah, you want four, and that's that's the thing that they came out of spring talking about, whether or not Brisker would be ready to jump in right away. And we're still waiting to see him in his first live action. But Lamont Wade is an interesting cap because this – I talked to him at Media Day – um, it, it's sort of, he plays on confidence. And for the last two years, he's not been a confident guy. He's been sort of watching over his back. He's been walking on eggshells in terms of, you know, getting beat and things like that. And if you get confident, you can take some chances. And, and, and maybe you do get beat, but you can take some chances and come back and, and start making some plays. And we saw that from him on Wednesday night. Um, it, it seems like he's been counterpunching a bunch. And that's, uh, you know, everybody expected Brisker to walk in and, and sort of take over. Brisker is a phenomenal talent, but uh, still getting the, uh, I guess, still getting the playbook under him, still getting some reps under there. But Wade's done what he needs to do to, to, to keep this job at least going into the season. So that's been a, a pleasant development in that back, uh, that back seven, which is a really good group. Um, I mean, Garrett Taylor is going to be the guy that I think we're not going to talk about enough, but he's a very important part of that. He's going to be making some calls back there. So uh, just if that can come together, you can get four of those guys together. Obviously, Johnny Patrician's out of the mix. Tyler Rudolph's a little bit young yet. Don't think C.J. Holmes really factors in. you got to have those four going. And, and as you mentioned it, with the, with the targeting penalty, you saw Sutherland start a game last year. And, and you're going to see Cam Brown sit out the first half of the game. this year. So you're going to need those guys ready. I just think, uh, you know, from, from 1 to 11 on that defensive side of the ball, you, you pretty much go too deep. You're still, still trying to figure out where you go with a fourth defensive tackle, still trying to figure out to who that fourth or fifth cornerback is going to be, and then you find the order of the safeties. Once that comes through, I think you're in a good spot. Okay? It's just there's, there's so much talent, there's so much speed. Um, it's going to be a defense that if it misses, it's going to miss fast, and that's obviously what you what you want to do. And you still want to see development from, from guys. I mean, we're, we're sort of taking the development of Micah Parsons by, uh, for granted right now. I mean, you want to see him develop as a linebacker. You're gonna, I think you're going to see him rush the passer as well, um, bring him up on the line if they need to, because that's what he naturally does well. So uh, 
you want to see development from guys like Cam Brown, who again has been around for a while. Has we haven't? I don't think we've seen the best of Cam Brown. I don't think anybody's seen the best of Cam Brown. So um, it, it, there's just so much talent. There's so much opportunity on that defense, and, and you're feeling pretty good about it. And as, and as I said, that's going to be the thing that that gets this offense into it. You're going to talk. I mean, aside from talking. Uh, keeping the other team off the off the uh, scoreboard you're talking field position you're talking about setting up your offense uh, you know maybe around midfield or something like that and going with it this defense can do so much to help out this offense and they're going to need it just to get the, the their wheels under them in September the fact that we are spending this amount of time on the defense if you're talking about any you know concerns isn't the right word but but where we're kind of nitpicking is it's the fourth or fifth guy at this position or maybe the third linebacker or second linebacker and uh, just a, a conversation that shows you where this defensive is right now in terms of depth um, additionally Sean uh, going back to the offensive line uh, we've seen Caden Wallace now the last couple of weeks flip uh, he was on the left side we've seen him on the right side uh, at tackle and so he's showing off that that versatility it seems like Franklin you know has, they were obviously impressed by the physical shape he showed in now it seems like they really like where he is um, you know in his development as an offensive tackle um, and, and they spoke highly of Des Holmes um, and we'll talk about tackle in a little bit more but but one thing that's interesting here is you know he made it a point to say that that CJ Thorpe Stephen Gonzalez and Mike Miranda all three of those guards are, are going to need to play he, he talked about a rotation now I don't know if that means that that Gonzalez will be coming off the field I know a lot of us have talked about you know are you going to uh, rotate uh, Thorpe or and Miranda at right guard uh, but but he you know didn't go into the details but he mentioned those three guys we've seen Miranda works them at left guard as well we we know that uh, he's working at center and, and the injury to Juice Scruggs over this offseason has has changed dynamics for them and how they're able to prepare on the interior right now and that's taking Miranda away from some of those guard reps but starting to get the sense that Miranda is going to be bouncing around a bit here um, and maybe C.J. Thorpe, because he's focused in on right guard, you know, I, I'm just starting to get the sense that a little clarity at right guard, but but maybe, you know, is Steven Gonzalez part of a rotation? I think that's the one thing I come away wondering a bit more is, is how much will Miranda actually be on the football field and how much will he just be the plan B at three different spots? Yeah, I think Miranda's a valuable part of this team, I'm, even if he's not starting. I mean, I think we've we started to see, I think the first week of practice, we saw Miranda out there with the first team, and, and the two since has been C.J. Thorpe at right guard. But Miranda can play center, Miranda can play left guard, right guard. And I, and I asked some of my contacts before spring practice, now this is before Juice Scruggs got hurt, they said, we got five guys for three spots. And I said, okay, well, uh, these three guys just going for right guard. No, they're, they're going for everything. I think you would have seen Juice Scruggs maybe get some time at center. And obviously, you don't want to break up the, the continuity of, uh, of having a guy at center that's been there for so long like Menet. But I don't think Steven Gonzalez's reps are completely safe like we think they may be. So, I mean, this is a guy that's going to be an eventual three-and-a-half, four-year starter. I guess you can consider that. But he's got guys that are that are pushing for things. We, we've seen Gonzalez, you know, at times struggle, and you wonder if there's another guy to go in there. I think Miranda can be that guy. And I think Miranda, you're going to see at all three positions because they want to get him some reps at center. I think it's, it's more uh, conducive to what they're doing to get him in at guard. But if you can get him in there at center, get him some reps, I think he can be a valuable guy. And shifting out to tackle, Wallace, uh, or excuse me, 
Wallace has has made Anthony Wiggins sort of move into the inside. So we, we saw Wiggins at guard once again, which you know, regardless of what where they think he's going to be, I think uh, you know you want to bring him along slowly. He wasn't the the instant impact guy that I think we thought he could be. Um, watching his tape from Lackawanna last year, but you still got well, you still got Wallace out there taking tackle reps. You still got Bryce Effner in there taking reps. Des Holmes is a guy that they've been pretty high upon. So. Uh, you've got options there. You want to you want to feel the, uh, the the comfort level of those guys and Gonzalez, Menet, and uh, I, I would say Gonzalez and Will Fries. You know, you may see some sort of rotation in, in September, not only to get these guys uh, comfortable in those spots, but also to get these guys uh, quality reps because they can take some reps away from those guys. And theoretically, that's the way it really should be on this roster right now. I mean, you know, Will Fries coming in 2016, Gonzalez in 2015. A lot of those guys have left because, you know, players came in that that ended up just being more worthy of playing time over them. Uh, That was a big part of that transfer. And I'm not saying that Fries or Gonzalez aren't going out there and proving it on a daily basis right now that they're first team players. But neither of these guys have been, you know, a at the at the top of the old Big Ten ballot, uh, you know they've played a lot of games for Penn State, but uh, you know if you look at you know the top three or four reasons why Penn State has come up short in some of these huge moments for them uh, in the past couple of years, oftentimes you can put a significant amount of that blame on, on not being able to finish out games offensively and getting that push from the offensive front, and quite the contrary, getting pushed into your backfield by a strong defensive line. So you know those guys have been a part of it. Uh, I think they take a lot of pride, uh, but I, I'm sure they look around this room they see the the level of athleticism we're talking about a player the size of Caden Wallace and, and Rasheed Walker who can move like they do uh and that goes inside as well and 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 so I think it's going to be interesting there should be competition and James Franklin actually also brought up the fact that you know they've got Tyler Bowen who was a college offensive lineman and has experience coaching offensive linemen and they've brought in some some NFL offensive line minds and they're going to do that again before the season so Franklin is not doing anything to, to get out of the way of, of putting uh, a, a lot of expectations on the offensive line to prove it this year collectively. And I think that starts with those veterans and we're kind of spoiling some of the conversation we're about to get into with the X factor, but uh, yeah, a, a big onus on the offensive line and, and just going back very quickly to the quarterback spot, who will they be protecting uh, offensive installations just about complete now. And, and Franklin says it, that re- represents a new phase in their evaluation. And, uh, and I have to imagine, I, you know, I would be surprised, I guess, if this time next week we still haven't heard who the starting quarterback is. But it's Franklin's prerogative. You know, if he doesn't want to let us know until they send out the first team unit on August 31st in Beaver Stadium, then so be it. I think playing Idaho might play into that. You know, obviously, Idaho is going to try and get every uh, advantage that they can. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's still an FCS team coming across the country. So I, I can see next Wednesday being the day for, for Clifford or Levis, whomever he, he goes with. Obviously, we, we think it's going to be Clifford. Um, going back to something you said earlier, would not want to be my, Matt Limegrover at this point. I, and I'll be honest with you, and I talked to some other people, and t- I think I talked to you about this, but would not want to be an offensive line coach right now. Just in general, in the in the scope of college football right now, if you look across the country, the, the number of good offensive line, and I think it's the same everywhere. Everybody is down on their offensive line. These defensive linemen in the last 15, 20 years have gotten so big, so athletic. It's just become 
getting in the way of things. And it's and as an offensive lineman, you're, you're really up against it. And we see these one-on-ones in these camps and stuff. But when you get to when you get to scheme against that, when you get to run a, a full defensive line against this offense, you're in a disadvantage every time. So just I think Matt Limegrover is his job on the line. That's hard to say. Um, but another year of, of of falling short of expectations to the offensive line. Um, you know, I certainly would put him in that position. I think so, but just across the board, being an offensive line coach has to suck. There's no, it's, it's essentially a no win situation for these guys. And I think you're seeing that with Lime Grover right now. And I think you look everywhere. I mean, outside, you know, even Clemson and Alabama last year, I mean, good offensive line. Sure. Not a dominant, not, not going back to the Penn state 94 offensive line that just destroyed people. You don't see that in college football anymore just because of, of what you're looking, you're, you're taking your athletes, and you see it with Penn State. You're taking your athletes, your, your big guys that can, you know, your your six foot five inch, two hundred and sixty pound guy that runs a four four, and, and Jason Alway. You're putting him at defensive end. I mean, you're throwing so many athletes, so many big athletes on that defensive side of the ball that honestly, offensive line has become a spot where if you can get in the way and, and sort of make them go uh, around you and do a different path, you're doing your job. And that's uh, that's crazy to see the development of the game over the last 15 or 20 years. But that's just the reality of the situation. Is this offensive line good? I, I don't know. And, and as I said earlier, we're not ready to say that they're good or can be a strength or anything like that. But they can be uh, average if they can stay out of each other's uh, stay out of each other's way, and that's a that's a terrible way to put that. But if they can do what they need to do and just just be uh, be able to go forward, they're going to be okay. And that's across the board. That's not just Penn State. You know, Michigan's dealing with that. Ohio State's dealing with it. You'd think that these these places that they have all this great four and five star talent. And Penn State's recruited extremely well in the offensive line you would think that every place would start to develop that dominant offensive line and it just hasn't happened and and I feel I feel bad for Matt Limegrover I feel bad you know eventually when when Limegrover leaves or or uh, something like that I feel bad for the next guy it's just it's a, it's essentially a no win situation to be an offensive line coach physics man it's it's what is Penn State we can probably fathom they have at least five defensive linemen who who run a sub 46 it's just we're talking about guys who 20 years ago were playing wide receiver. Now that now they're getting evaluated as, oh, we can make him an edge rusher. Let's put 30 pounds on him, train him to keep the speed, and, and just have him blitz the hell out of a quarterback. Uh, yeah, it's a race to space outside, and and you know that's why again, the, Lime Grover, you can feel bad for him, but they have recruited at a pretty high level on the offensive front. A lot of teams would love to have an athlete like Rasheed Walker. We talked about Michael Mennett. He's actually the top ranked lineman they've signed since Franklin got there. So uh, you know, I know it's always hard to project who the great linemen are going to be, but uh, they've got a lot of great raw material they've brought in here in the last few years, CJ Thorpe included. Um, and you know, it's time to put that on the football field. And you know, no pressure. All you got to do is is take care of business in front of an offensive backfield that combined between the running back and quarterback has zero career college starts. So yeah, a lot on the offensive line. If we haven't made that clear in the last few minutes, um, speaking of things that could make or break this 2019 Penn state team, Sean, uh, before the show, we both put together a list of five for X factors, uh, for this team, kind of looking at some different position groups, obviously, and then focusing in on, on certain players. Um, I, I'm going to start, uh, here, 
Uh, oh, wait, Sean, you're actually taking this one for me. I'm sorry. So we both had this one, um, and, and Sean's taking it. Ty- Tyler, so, sent, Tyler sent me a list, <laughs> and I had my list already. And after my long diatribe about uh, <laughs> how hard it is to coach offensive line and how, how bad I feel for these guys, Will Fries was on both of our lists. And I think that's that's obviously the spot to start. Um, you know, you, you, you wanted to see him take a bigger step last year. It didn't look like he was healthy all last season. Um, but yeah, you want to see him step up and, and start to uh, start to turn guys, start to get guys out of the way. We haven't seen that so far from Will Fries. He's got Dez Holmes behind him. We saw Dez Holmes playing right tackle. Does that mean a rotation's coming of some sort? Hey, it's very possible. But uh, Will Fries has to be a guy, in my mind, I think you can get solid out of the other guys, um, and you're not sure what you're going to get from Rasheed Walker and, and C.J. Thorpe, but I think there's a little bit more pressure on Will Fries to keep it up and, and, and be one of the guys that you can, say, go from uh, average to take a step forward this year. So, Will Fries, I think, was an obvious choice for both of us. And by the way, we, we went no quarterbacks in this. I think that 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 says everything for itself. I mean, you're, you're obviously you're gonna you're gonna lean on quarterbacks and everything. But Will Fries um, on the offensive line was the first guy I I listed in our X Factor. He was the first guy that came to mind for me too because he needs to be at the bare minimum just consistently dependable. You know what you've got at right tackle. You're going to have to figure things out. Rasheed Walker, I'm sorry, he's a redshirt freshman. I know I was very high on him as a recruit. He's going to have some rough moments. It's just how this goes. I think two years down the road, he could be a first-team All-American if he continues to develop the way he has. And and and, but I I think this year there's going to be those issues. Um, and, and I think Caden Wallace. You know, we've seen him on both sides here. Des Holmes has gotten rave reviews. Um, I think they're going to be breathing down Will Fry's neck. And this is the first year that we think Will Fry's can enter the year. Knowing that the job is his, remember last year there was a rotation, uh, you know, between him and Chaz Wright. The year before he was in there because you know injury to Ryan Bates really really thrust him in um, into a bigger role as well. So yeah, this is the year for him to step up. Uh, you know, and, and playing off of, of kind of what Franklin's been looking for with this offensive line, he, he keeps using the term nasty over the last few years. You know, he wants to have that kind of mindset. C.J. Thorm, C.J. Thorpe is what they've been calling uh, a culture driver. Uh, and, and I think that's exactly what he can be on the offensive front. I expect him to be the guy who, who is the right guard for this team. Um, was really impressed with what we saw from him early last year at that position when given opportunities. I think going to the defensive line, coming back, uh, and just being athletically advanced to where he was last year, I think the makings are there for him to actually surpass what you got out of that uh, at, at spot last year with Connor McGovern. I know that's saying a lot. McGovern was a third-round pick from the Cowboys, but I do think C.J. Thorpe can be that guy. And not only can he be that guy and be impactful, and one of the better interior blockers in the Big Ten, I think he's also the guy who who lays down a pancake, uh, knocks the defender on his ass, gets up and says, okay, guys, let's go do it again. These guys stay on the ground. You need those guys on the offensive line. There's a lot of pleasant fellas on this Penn State offensive line. You get to talk with them. C.J. Thorpe's the one guy that I get those vibes from that that he wants to keep kicking ass. And and, and I'm not, not saying those guys don't. But he will tell you about it, and he will get it done, I think. And, and that's why I think he's the X factor for me, because he can be that culture, culture driver and really take this offensive line mentality into a new phase. He can tell you about it, he can do it, and then he can tell you about it again. So uh, Bingo. It'd be, be, be fun to watch C.J. Thorpe, because um, he's obviously can do so much. I think in, from a run-blocking standpoint, you haven't seen something like that. 
just he's—he, I don't think people understand how athletic he is out there, and he, he doesn't doesn't look pretty. I mean, he's he's what six three. 320, 325 in there, but uh, he can move, he can get out. I just remember that block that he had against Pitt last year where he just destroyed the guy, and it was it was fun to watch. Uh, I move quickly to the defensive side of the ball, uh, just kind of going back and forth. X-Factors for you and I kind of differed. You went more starter, I went more filling those gaps, and this was one of those things that, that we talked about earlier was filling that fourth defensive tackle uh, rotation spot. We know about the three guys. I, I do expect uh, Windsor and Shelton to start out, but I think we'll see a ton of P.J. Mustafer. But Sean Spencer has rotated uh, groups in before, so the guy beside Mustafer I think is going to be an X-factor. I have Damian Barber right here. I've got I've also got Fred Hansard written down, but Barber I think gives you a little bit more. And, and as we said last week, don't think that Hansard's quite ready to go uh, 100%. I think uh, we've, we've seen him a little bit more each week. We saw him in, in practice, but still – coming off an, uh, a gruesome injury you'd like to see what you've got out of barber uh judge culpepper has also been in there a little bit but i think barber you know once it clicks once he gets in there and gets comfortable i think he can he can give you something on this team i'm i think those guys you know that fourth spot there's a major opportunity for whoever goes and claims that because uh that'll set them up well for 2020 as well and you feel a lot better about your depth going into next camp if you see four or five maybe even six guys look capable there and and you know injuries will happen um i went with a couple guys here kind of sandwiched into to one spot because they are fighting for first team reps uh and that's two redshirt freshmen daniel george justin shorter daniel george had that big fireworks moment in beaver stadium where he set a record for the longest touchdown reception. Uh, aside from that, you know, uh, spots here and there, kept the red shirt, um, played a little against, uh, against Maryland. We saw Justin Shorter get some opportunities late in the season against uh, against Kentucky, against Rutgers, um, you know, and he wasn't healthy. We know the whole story there, and I know everyone wants to focus in on Justin Shorter because of where the rankings were last year, but Daniel George is also one heck of an athlete, and, and, and he was just such an acclaimed high school athlete as a track and field guy. Uh, it could have been a Division one safety. I've heard several coaches say that, including uh, James Franklin, that he could have played power five level as a defensive back. And every time we see him on the football field, he just like he he's really giving the defensive back fits. And um, I think both those guys needed to be a lot more polished as receivers. Jahan Dotson w- was much further along as that when the, that when they got to campus. I, I, Jahan Dotson is not the athletic package that those guys are, but obviously fundamentally he was more prepared to, to contribute last year as the season went on. But to me, there are just so many guys that you can exploit opponents with in the middle of the field, whether it's Pat Fryermuth, um, whether it's Ricky Slade, if a guy like Devin Ford's in the football field, KJ Hamler, of course, Mac, Mac Hippenhammer, you need that presence on the outside, and it's what they were so severely lacking throughout last year. We thought that was going to be Jawan Johnson. Sometimes it kind of was, but often it wasn't. Uh, Brandon Polk had moments, but really there was no time you went and said this defense really needs to account for what's going on with Brandon Polk over there. Uh, and they need. To, I think if you can have one of these guys, ideally both of these guys, step up and you say they're going to control the situation against that cornerback over there. They're a guy that we can trust in one-on-one situations. We know that they're going to draw safety coverage, and that's going to create opportunities for us with other players as well. Someone needs to step up there. If neither of them do, you've got huge issues. I have faith that you'll see Justin Shorter or Daniel George emerge. And with with Parker there, um, you know that's kind of further reinforced, but got to see it. Got to see the game tape, as they say. 
my X factor there is whoever can catch the ball on a drag route because they certainly did not have that on the roster last year. Uh, offensively, uh, a lot of people are going to be looking at Pat Fryermuth. I'm looking at Nick Bowers. I, I've been, I guess, leading the Nick Bowers hype train uh, for, for, for what it can be for a backup tight end. Uh, for a while now, athletic guy, big guy can block. And we saw a little bit of 12 personnel the other night. Saw him on the field with another tight end. And, you know, you can move him around. He was a he, he was more of a receiver coming in, but he's also got that uh, 265 or 270-pound frame that can run a little bit. So, Excited to see what what Nick Bowers can do. I think he can. I think he can pile up a couple of touchdowns this year. Um, take some of that weight off of uh, Fryermuth because because Fryermuth's not going to surprise anybody anymore. I mean, he's is going to be a guy that comes in with all Big Ten credentials. But Bowers is a guy that you know you, you you've seen it in the past. Iowa did it last year. You put a couple of tight ends on the field. You 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 know you can diversify your offense a little bit. We've I think we've seen them try to work through that. We saw that against Kentucky. I think Bowers Bowers got a touchdown against Kentucky in the bowl game. So. Um, um, uh, Nick Bowers, I think, is a guy that we'll probably be talking about more than we expect going into it. Uh, really excited to see what he can do. And and, and like I said, uh, at draft at draft time this spring, he's playing for a contract. I think he's a draftable guy. I think he's he's going to go out to the combine or the pro day or whatever and and put up some some eyebrow raising numbers. And you're going to think how the, how is this guy a start or not a starter? Well, you got a pretty good one in, in front of him in front of you. So I think Nick Bowers is certainly a guy that, that that's being overlooked and expecting maybe not huge things out of him because he's still a number two tight end, but uh, a guy that can, can put, put up some touchdowns for you and, and, and do some good things for your football team. I could see him tripling, maybe even quadrupling his career catch total, which is six. So I, I think he does have that opportunity to go out and make some noise. And Tyler Bowen, who we did also got after practice um, last uh, on Wednesday, I, uh, speaking did of which, say, I, I love how we can manipulate stats like that. Like I put, I put in Daniel George's <laughs> 56 yards per catch average is going to go down. Uh, but yeah, anything we want these stats to be, we can make them. Yep, that's that's. I got to use math for something good because usually it gives me the fits. So that's a good point. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Bowen did mention, you know, last year. It was no secret towards the tail end of the regular season. They were featuring that 12 personnel with the two tight ends out there. Nick Bowers was the recipient of those reps. Saw that carry over into the Citrus Bowl. Full expectation for that percentage to go up uh, in terms of usage. And, and why not? We've talked about the what you've got going on in that tight end room. And, and there are a few spots on the field that can make a, well, the offensive line's one of them, but a few other spots on the field that can make life better for a, a quarterback who's getting used to the, to the game speed and, and getting used to, to, to having to pick up blitzes and, and, and getting rid of the ball so quickly than a good tight end combo. And, and I think they have that. So I'm with you on the Nick Bowers train as well. They, they, um, think, they think they have four that can play. And that's, yeah. that's saying something about Brenton Strange as well. I mean, he was he was out there at practice the other night with uh, just thrown right in the fire. So they think that they have, I think Bowen said that they have four that can play. I think you're still going to mostly see Fryermuth and Bowers, but you've got Koontz, you've got uh, Brenton Strange as well. So, I mean, that, that room just looks better and better. Uh, I'm going to go with another fifth-year senior. You just went Nick Bowers. Uh, now, John Reed has proven a lot more than Bowers, obviously, during his Penn State career. But uh, you want to talk about guys going after uh, you know that, that payday beyond Penn State. Uh, you know, John Reed stands to make himself a significant amount of money if he can go out there and play his best football of his career. He was someone who, you know, as a, as a freshman, as a sophomore particularly, uh, a central part of that defense that went on to win the Big Ten championship game, looked like one of the rising defensive backs in Big Ten. Um, and then he 
misses 2017, and that was tough. And, and last year, you know, th- there were times where he you, you thought he was going to be back, and then he was back on the sideline, missed some game action early. You know, took until later in the season where you started to see the confidence show through with the body language and just the way he carried himself. You know, the report from him, the report from Brent Pry, the report from Terry Smith and James Franklin is that this guy is in the best shape of his life. Uh, they're expecting him to be playing the best football of his life, and um, I think that would make a huge boost for a defense that should already be tremendous. I think Tariq Castro-Field is going to put it together an all-Big Ten caliber season. If John Reed is playing the best football of his life, and you're starting to feel good about what you've got at the two deep at safety. We've already discussed at length what you've got going on in the front seven. It starts to be really hard for an opposing coordinator to pick holes with your personnel. He better be in the best shape of his life. I think I say that every time you say that <laughs> yeah, about you do. somebody. I just chuckle because it takes me back. Anyway, um, it, it's it's... Yeah, I mean, cornerbacks are going to be better based on the pass rush, and I think that that factors into some of the stuff that we're talking about. I think John Reed and Tariq Castro, I mean, that that whole back four um, can really benefit from, you know, we saw when, you know, you get a little bit of pressure, some guys panic. I mean, look at the Iowa game last year. Nate Stanley, who's supposedly a uh, uh, draftable quarterback next year, you know, you got a little bit of pressure on him, and he made some poor decisions, couldn't throw the ball, and you, you come away with a game-stealing interception for Nick Scott. So uh, I think that that pass rush will really uh, elevate the game of the corners. I have another X, X factor here, knowing how that Penn State plays their corners, how that Penn State – yeah, that's awful – Knowing how Penn State plays their corners, Donovan Johnson, I think, is going to be an important part of this group. Um, You can see him going inside and out like we've seen uh, John Reed in the last couple of years. He can play that nickel. I think that's really his ticket to getting onto the field and um, and, and sort of uh, not supplanting somebody else, but, you know, taking reps. So taking reps and that's that's how he's going to get onto the field closest or fastest is the nickel donovan johnson's got some talent he got his hand on the ball uh last spring or excuse me two springs ago had a really good spring practice then had that injury came back um but now he's got an opportunity to do that this kid can fly i mean we forget about how fast he is not the biggest guy in the world but he can stick with the with guys in the interior um, you know, as, as those slot guys. And I think uh, really can make a difference. And, and you can also bring Keaton Ellis into this mix. So you don't want to say there's an X factor. I was trying to think if there was a way to word a, a true freshman X factor. And I came away with Keaton Ellis also came away with Devin Ford because I think he can provide, you know, something uh, out of that offensive backfield. But Keaton Ellis is a guy that we've seen a lot of. I mean, like I said, he's going to be a guy that we see from day one. I mean, he's going to come in there. He's going to play at corner. He's going to play special teams. Um, I think he can be on a lot of special teams with the way that he runs. So uh, Johnson and Keaton Ellis, and of course you've got Trent Gordon there. You've got uh, you've got some nice corners in that second level, but you want to see somebody step up and grab those that that number three and four. Right now, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Johnson and Ellis as the as the three and four guys. And wrote about this this week. That, I mean, Terry Smith thought he had the best cornerback film in the country, and he wasn't lying to us about it. Or you know, uh, you know, it wasn't a rainbow and unicorn kind of comment because we heard you know from Barton Simmons, who sees film on just about every cornerback you can imagine from every corner of the country. He called Keaton Ellis an absolute steal. Brian Doan said that if you put Keaton Ellis uh, in Florida, uh, in Georgia, he's got thirty offers. He's taken five official visits. He, he might take it all the way down to signing day. Penn State to have him in the back 
backyard with, with a father who used to wear the uniform, uh, you know, a huge advantage for them. And I think him getting on campus is a huge advantage for him on board with you completely that, that he's going to be among defensive freshmen, the guy that I would, I'd imagine accrues the most snaps if he's healthy. Uh, we'll see where it goes for, with some of those linebackers. Uh, I'm going to take it to special teams now. A lot of talk about, you know, how is the special teams going to be better? I think one clear spot we think it will be better is on kickoffs. Uh, continue to see why exactly Stout was brought in on a scholarship and continue to wonder how Virginia Tech did not have him on a scholarship. Um, you know, so you imagine that phase of your game will be better. Fully expect Blake Gilligan to, to be at peak performance, uh, more consistent than last year. Um, I don't think there's much doubt about that on, on, until proven otherwise he has the benefit of the doubt. Where you wonder is, is can you get more efficient in the place kicking spot? And Jake Pindegar last year, uh, extremely inconsistent. I mean, it started off, it didn't have that long of a leash, had a nice stretch. It was came up big in the Iowa game at home, but a guy that didn't play well in the, in the citrus bowl, didn't execute how you'd like to see him finish the season ended up being five of 11 from beyond 40 yards. Now those 11 attempts from beyond 40 were the most in the big 10. So clearly they trusted what the range looked like. Um, you know, he, I know one of those was at pit on a very sloppy night in the field. Um, but you need to get more, uh, capitalize on those opportunities more, especially with, with the, you know, unproven offensive attack at large. You know, you, there's going to be more opportunities for, for those long-range field goals. We know Stout is going to be pushing him there. There's nothing in practice that shows me that Jake Pinnegar has regressed in any way. And, and I was pretty high on him coming to campus and, 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 and made a lot of sense why you would invest a scholarship on Jake Pinnegar. But I, I view that as a spot where if he can make strides and, and be – uh, you know, even one of the, you know, the, in the top third of kickers in the Big Ten in terms of just complete efficiency, um, you're looking at your ability to punt the ball, kick the ball off, and, and kick field goals um, at a pretty high level across the board in that combination that I think a lot of college football programs lack the stability in all three departments. You kind of wonder where Jake Pinnegar is right now because he, he came in last year and uh, really not much competition to go against. I mean, and now all of a sudden they bring in Stout. You, you've got a new uh, special teams coordinator. And we, and we think the special teams group, you know, can push that win total higher just because of what, you know, the, the improvement. Let's be honest, uh, there's all the room for improvement. You've got Gillikin, you've got Stout kicking off. But at that place kicker position, I agree with you, is not the consistency. It's not the uh, the automaticness. I guess that we can that we can label that. So that's going to be a big question mark. And Pinnegar comes in, new special teams coordinator. They bring in their own guy. Stout's going to get a chance to win the job as well. So he's got to be on his game um, because I, I I don't think that the leash will be all that long. I mean, we talked about this with Jared Parker. Is he's getting a fresh look at his receivers? Well, Joe Lurie's getting a fresh look at at, at these kickers. So. All of a sudden, I mean, the the loyalty is kind of out the window there. I mean, Stout's been brought in as one of Lorig's guys. is bringing in a bunch of other kickers to uh, to to do their thing, and that's not going to affect Gillikin. But still, um, you, you've got uh, it, it's a strange situation in the fact that you would think that Pinnegar coming off of last year as a starter as a true freshman would be a shoe in at that spot, and I don't think that's the that's the case. Maybe I mean quarterback and offensive coordinator. That recruiting to player coach relationship is obviously probably at the crux of your program. But I think 
few coordinators are attached to the hip to a guy they're investing a scholarship in than a special teams coordinator because you're doing it so infrequently. You're not doing it every class. So you better be writing the scholarship. And, and you're right. Obviously, James Franklin signed off on extending the scholarship to Jake Pinnaker. He really impressed them during a high-pressure uh, camp performance, a solo act uh, in the middle of Beaver Stadium a couple summers ago. But, you know, that was Charles Huff and, and, and Phil Galliano on the football field out there. Uh, you know, it, it will be interesting. Uh, but, again, I, I don't want to make this sound like Jake Pinniger has gone out there and not looked well uh, when we've been out there, but we have only seen him kick the ball three, four times. Everything looks fine, but but that is a spot where uh, a market improvement, I think, does help you get to that next win total. Mentality and consistency. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Exactly. Mentality and consistency, and, and we're not going to know that until September because it's a completely different ball game going out there on the practice field and kicking. Going out there in the game field and kicking, very different, uh, very different situations. So that's our list. I'm sure we'll do something with it on Lions 24/7 on the on the website. But interesting to me, no safeties in on either of our lists. I think that's that that was probably the biggest hole, or no question about it, it was the biggest hole on defense. Um, Penn State seems to be progressing nicely there with four that they think that that they're comfortable with. So no safeties uh, really outside of George and and and. Uh, excuse me, George and Shorter, no uh, big time wide receiver. I mean, no, I guess we're, we're on the same page with wide receivers, but no big holes in the wide receiver where you think that that would be, again, going back to offensive line, going back to filling out spots along the defensive line with Barber and Hansard, and then guys like Donovan Johnson, John Reed. And the, you know, I think, I think that, that, it's a lot harder to find these X factors than it's been in the past. And that is, I think a credit to the roster right now and the, and the way that they've gone about building two weeks away from kickoff. Uh, I think five weeks away from Big Ten opener, maybe six weeks. I know there's a bye week in there in September, but uh, we'll have a lot of these answers coming our way uh, soon. In the meantime, you mentioned safeties at that position. Penn State turns its attention to St. John's College High School, a perennial powerhouse down in Washington, D.C. That's where you'll find Mordecai McDaniel, a 2020 defensive back prospect, projected to play safety at the next level. He's also a track and field standout, looking to, to actually participate in track potentially at the college level. And Sean uh, he goes on Twitter Thursday afternoon and says, I'm ready next Wednesday, the 21st of uh, August, ready to announce his commitment. There's drama in this one. And that's, uh, you don't see that as often anymore. But Mordecai McDaniel, I think we mentioned on the show last week, uh, very interesting kid, uh, not really um, playing a lot to uh, the recruiting process. And that includes not only us in the media, but also coaches that you know, that we've interacted with. And it's just, uh, it's, it's one of those things where you know which schools are involved, Florida, Tennessee, Penn State, but it's probably going to go right down to the wire. Um, I was talking to some folks down in Florida, uh, yeah, I guess Wednesday night, and they thought, you know, the Gators are probably trailing, you know, Penn State could have the edge. But yeah, I mean, I still think Tennessee's heavily in this. Track is going to be something that, uh, you know, I think, plays a role when you're talking about two schools that you like equally. He wants to run track. He's a really talented uh, track athlete, but could put Tennessee over the line. So don't know where this one's going just yet, um, but it's going to be an interesting one. And really, honestly, um, I I say all three, but probably between Tennessee or Penn State, neither one would surprise me right now. This 24-7 sports recruiting network is, is so damn good that it, it pretty much always spoils every commitment announcement ever that I ever try to get into. Like, I already know where the crystal ball is going. Steve's already made it clear. Or Brian's made it clear. And often you've already scooped it out on the Penn State site. But 
<laughs> this one to see no crystal ball projections for a kid who's had a bunch of offers for a while. It's not like he popped up on Penn State's radar during the summer. He, he was uh, offered last June. So, yeah, it, it's always uh, interesting. We'll see if that intrigue lasts all the way into next week. But that's the next commitment date to know. Um, and, and we'll see if Penn State will push its recruiting class to 23. We're going to get number 22 on with us in just a moment. Keziah is our oh, – Keziah Holmes. Uh, there's a Keziah and a Keziah. Yeah. yeah. Setting records here in the recruiting class. But we'll get Keziah Holmes running back out of Cocoa, Florida. Really happy to have him on with us in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, last week we brought you Nick Dawkins, who was a fantastic guest and has really turned into a leader um, for this 2020 Penn State recruiting class. Now we are thrilled to bring in the newest member of this Nittany Lions recruiting class, and that is Keziah Holmes, running back from Coco High School down in Florida, one of the really impressive programs down there on a perennial basis. He's going to be a big part of what they do as a senior, and he's a big part of Penn State's future plans as well. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about him as a player, as a person, but first let's introduce him to the Nittany Lions fans out there. Keziah, thank you very much for joining the Lions 24-7 podcast for the first time. Hey, thank you, man. I'm glad to be here. We're recording this on, on Wednesday evening. You announced everything to the world on Friday. How has life changed in the past week, getting that decision out there? I'd imagine maybe you're hearing quite a bit less from other college coaching staffs, but you know, just in general, how is kind of your reality different now than, than it was this time last week? I can tell you I'm very relieved. Like you said, like the colleges, they stopped texting me and stuff like that. You know, big name school, you know, they – so I, told, I called them and told them where I was going. You know, they just settled down, and now I'm just I'm glad to be back to myself, focus on school, focus on uh, football, and just focus on the things that I uh, I want to do, I can do now, that I couldn't do when I was going through the recruiting process. You mentioned uh, some big-time schools involved here. Teams like Florida, Florida State, Kentucky, Tennessee, Miami were part of that that top group you put out. You know, leading up to a commitment announcement. We know you got to Penn State in late in late June for that official visit. Was Penn State kind of in control here once once you got back home from that visit? What did they do to really make a strong impression when you were on campus? I think after that visit, they were uh, they were they were the leader, and you know. It, it really, they didn't really do nothing. It was just, and basically, basically how you know, I, me and my parents went up there. You know, I was when I touched, when I got off the plane, I stepped foot, you know, on the campus and on guard. I already felt like I was home, and you know, the the players they took me in like I was already a player. You know, you know, uh, I was with uh, Michael Parsons, you know, John Dunmore and uh, T.J. Jones, and you know, uh, also Noah Kane. They were just showing me around the campus, showing what it's like, and just telling me what college life is about, and you know. And Coach Franklin and Coach Sider, they, you know, they were the coaches I ever met in my whole entire life. And, you know, they just made me feel like I was family and part of the team already. And that's, and I felt like, and I know the program, they have a very good academic uh, program, especially for business. And I know that that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to measure. And I know that I'm going in there with a hair strong in the football, ready to work, ready to put in work. So I knew that was just the place for me. 
I want to do it. I know I'm, I can go up there and uh, make my own history and start my own legacy. You cut out just for a moment there, Keziah, regarding your focus on academics. What was it? The business school that you were you were saying you're focused in on? Oh, yeah, that's what I'm focusing on. Okay, great stuff. Well, from a football perspective, um, you mentioned a few players there uh, that, that helped host you, Micah Parsons being one, but the three others that you mentioned are all Florida high school prospects. Um, Noah Kane, TJ Jones, John Dunmore, all of them now freshmen at Penn State, all of them in one way or another had Coach Sider involved in their recruitment process. A lot of people up here have been really impressed by Jaywan Sider, what he's been able to accomplish um, and bringing up big time recruits uh, you know, from Florida. You said you've known him for a while. Can you talk about what separates him from so many other coaches? Because you told me before your commitment that he was the realest coach that you dealt with during your recruitment. Uh yeah, me I found out I think after the before it was actually before the uh the opening regional finals I mean the uh the regionals for the opening I had got the offer from Penn State and then like after that me and him just started clicking you know we started texting all the time FaceTime and you know he was just I feel like we kind of connected you know what I'm saying like we I feel like we fit together as a as a coach as a coach and a player and he just. He's just real because we, we don't even talk about football time. We just talk about life again, be you know, life skills and life lessons. He's like father, and you know, he all he always keeps it real. He, he's not he's never sugarcoating anything. Everything I ask him is always the same. He always acts, he always acts the same. So that's why I say he's more he's one of the realest because I've, I've dealt with. You know, he never changed when you know what I'm saying. I since I went up there and met him, and he's been the same ever since. The same with Coach Franklin. So that's why you know that's that's what Coach Franklin, uh, Coach Sider is. A great person overall. When did you let the Penn State staff know that you were coming to to join the program in 2020? And what was their reaction? Was it Coach Sider and Coach Franklin together? Was it one of those guys? I know they certainly must have been excited to, to get you on board. Uh, I, I told Coach Sider like two days before the commitment day, but I told him to keep it a secret until everybody knew it. And, and when they found out, they just were ecstatic. Man, they were just going crazy. And actually. I would say even before I didn't tell nobody I was going. I didn't tell nobody, but uh, uh, they have uh, uh, one of these ladies named uh, Destiny, and uh, very sweet lady. Um, I guess some I think I guess game time, but doing like they was some kind of do something like other, but more improved and stuff like that. And they were like uh, they showed my face and and all like the Penn State and of course the faculty all went crazy and stuff like that. So this this thing that was um, very humbling. It was. Very excited to see that from the coaches. Now, when you make this trip from Florida to, to State College back in, in June, you must be coming in with the plane. I don't know if you had a window seat or not, but it's an interesting flight in here because there's a lot of mountains and valleys, and all of a sudden you're you're right here on campus and, and you're at this small airport. What was going through your head? I mean, uh, it's obviously different than a place like Tallahassee, different than a place like Knoxville flying in and, and your initial perspective driving around on, on these roads you know curvy on, on the hills and and through the valley you know what was that experience like for you i did have a window seat actually on the plane nice yeah. <laughs> and uh you know well basically what was going through my head was like this could be a place that i could i, I might be here for the next two to four years and you know i just i was doing like mapping out you know kind of sightseeing and debating this is this the place where i want to be and, you know, when we got there and, you know, we was arriving to the hotel and I was just seeing all the mountains and, you know, uh, the farming, the livestock, you know, everything like that. And, you know, I was like, yeah, this this, this shows home, you know, because where I live at is probably the same thing, but without the mountains. But 
I just feel like I was meant to be here and it was calling my name. So that flight went through my head. That was basically going through my head when I was on that flight. People are definitely going to wonder, did you get creamery ice cream while you were on campus? I definitely did. Best ice cream I've ever had in my whole entire life. <laughs> that was a little-known fact, a huge part of the reason why Noah Kane committed to Penn State. I'm overplaying, <laughs> I'm overplaying that a little bit, but funny thing after Noah's first visit is he was talking about the school, and the first thing he went to was the ice cream and how it was the best he had. So definitely a recruiting tool. You mentioned talking with Noah Kane during your time on campus. Um, he's one of the two top 10 running back prospects they signed in the 2019 class. Him and Devin Ford are, are competing for, for touches as, as true freshmen. You know, Ricky Slade's back there as a former five-star. People are excited about Journey Brown. You told me before that competition is what you're all about. But, you know, talking to Noah a little bit, talking to Coach Sider, just how much does that exist right now in the running back room at Penn State? Uh, as a running back group, they have a great, they have a fantastic running back group. But, you know, they all have different skill sets. And, you know, when I was with Noah, uh, we was we was in his, um, when his room, we was playing the game. And we were just talking about football, and he was just saying that. Because, he, you know, he was early on a little bit, and he was telling me that it's, it's different, but it's not like a big difference from high school, from high school to college. Just said it's just a lot of time consuming, and but he, he was telling me you gonna get it, man. You'll be all right. He's like it's competition because anywhere you go, you have competition. You want to compete. He's like, but that that's gonna make you a better player. It's gonna make you a better football player and a better person. And he was like, if you just do what you gotta do, you're gonna do something special. If you just focus on yourself and be yourself and don't try to chance nobody, you're gonna be yourself. Same thing with Sider. He was just telling me you know, they got a great group of backs and. You know, he was just telling me their skill sets and all this and this and that, and you know, and I was just comparing it to mine. And I know what type of athlete I am. I know what type of skills that I have, and I know what I can do with the ball in my hands. And you know, like I said, we all got to compete. So, you know, when I get there, my my head, my on my head is my mind is gonna be like, okay, what can I do to start? What I'm gonna do to start? Or, you know, get some playing time. But my goal is to start. You know, what I'm saying, pick somebody position. That's my that's my goal. I mean, my mindset about competition and what me and Coach Sider and all we're talking about. You mentioned the fact that you have, uh, you know, a lot of confidence in your abilities, and, and you showed a lot on film last year, 1,500-plus uh, all-purpose yards. Uh, I think it was 20 touchdowns. Can you give us the scouting report on yourself? Because obviously I've watched the film, and I think a lot of our listeners since last Friday have kind of swarmed to your huddle page and, and tried to get a better indication of, of what Kasaya Holmes is, but... Aside from the measurements, six foot, one hundred ninety pounds, and the stats I just gave, what is the scouting report on Kaziah Holmes out of the offensive backfield? I, mean, I really don't too much talk about myself. I mean, but that we make you talk about yourself on the podcast, so I'm sorry <laughs> about that. It's all right. I mean, I could do everything, you know. I got like it's funny because my favorite player is Saquon Barkley, and like all my teammates and everybody like that, you know, I hate like. My, uh, my girlfriend and all of them and her family and my the teachers and faculty at my school, everybody calls me Saquon Jr. It's not just because he's my favorite player, because I actually, you know, so they was like, they kind of could tell, like, oh, yeah, you kind of play like him and this and this and that, you know, and, like, if that's what you want to say, I'm kind of like that, but, you know, I, I can do everything. I can run the ball. Everybody knows I can run the ball, and that's my position. But, you know, I can also catch. I can, I can run rocks like a receiver. You know, I can make a person miss, you know, I'm powerful and I'm, I'm elusive and everybody, I'm to my speed. So I have that, I have that ability. So and last year was my first year playing running back, you know, in high school. So 
you were focused in on on defensive back, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Before before running back became a full time thing for you. Yeah, and that I didn't feel comfortable playing that position. Does that for you? Yeah. Did, did that kind of take away from your passion in football? And then you get the ball in your hands, and all of a sudden things click. I would say, since I'm so I'm letting the Penn State fans know a little bit about me. But like, since I was a kid, all I, like I literally, I didn't, I never listened to my parents. I'm like, I have a football birthmark on my uh, on the side. So, like ever since I was little, all I've been doing is playing flag, you know tackle rookies and all that. I've been I've been a running back slash quarterback, more likely running back, you know, is running the ball, you know, just scoring touchdowns up the team win, doing everything I can to make the team win. You know, I got to high school, I wanted to play quarterback, but we was pretty much uh, I was running the ball. So it was like uh I was running back playing quarterback, you wanna say. Mm-hmm. And I was playing J V. Got moved up and, you know, I was playing like D B and everybody was saying D B D B D B D B and they was keep comparing me to when I had my former teammate, Jamel Dean, and kept saying, oh, you're going to be a million-dollar DB. And then sophomore year, I was play, I was supposed to play quarterback and do it. So I, they put me back to my five position. I was running back, and I was I was doing great. And doing that practice, and all of a sudden, I don't know what happened. They put me to DB, and I didn't even play running back. And at that point, it was at a point where, like, during the season, I didn't feel like I fit on the team. And, like, my whole family knows, and all my really close friends knew that I was depressed that whole entire year, and I didn't. I wanted to quit. I wanted to quit, and uh, my dad told me it was like he said, "Don't quit." But he said, "God got something better for you." And said, I'm telling you. So after we lost in the state championship game, I gave myself three days of rest, and after that. I told myself I'll never play DB again in my life. I'm going to play running back, and I'm going to show everybody I'm the best running back in the country, and I'm going to do that. And that's, I, I kind of want to say Colin Barkley at that time and kind of heard his story, how his life was, and it was kind of a similar. So I was like, I got to do it. So me and my friend, we just started working on sandals, right room, sandals, right room, consistently all in all season. And then when summer came, we kept doing the same thing, kept going, kept going, kept going. And I told myself, before the first, I said, this is my time. And I kept, I prayed every night and day that I just get my time and my moment to shine. And, you know, we got a new, we had, got a new coaching staff in the spring. Coach Snyder, Ryan Snyder, he, and, you know, he gave me an opportunity and believed in my skills. And after that, it's all said and done. And here I am. Yeah, I think, and I think people now know that you are a running back, and 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 you've known that for a long time. And and here's a bit of news for you: you, you said you did some research on Barkley. Pretty sure that through his first two years of high school, he had fewer than four or five hundred rushing yards at the varsity level. And then his junior and senior year, he went pretty crazy and put up huge numbers. And you've already done half of that with a big junior year, as we said. And Kaziah, coming on board with this class, it's a class that has changed a lot here at Penn State. You were the 16th commitment since the start of June. How quickly have guys reached out to you? How quickly do you feel comfortable with this group? And what are you doing now to improve the class? Uh, Before my commitment, everybody was very cool. You know, they were just... You know, they wouldn't force me, but they was letting me know, like, hey, cause I, like, like, we need you, man. We need you, you know. And, you know, and I feel welcome because, you know, I love all the boys. You know, cause, you know we, we're starting to become a family. We're starting to become, you know, my brother's keepers, if you want to say, you know, distant, you know what I'm saying, from a distance, though, until we all meet and stuff like that. But, you know, those, you know, I love those guys. And now that I committed, 
you know, I'm doing my work and trying to get uh, recruits, and you know, saying good, uh, good guys that can make the team better and and uh, win a national championship. Now, are there any other guys down there in Florida that you're specifically focused in on? Uh, in Florida, uh, not that I know of. Okay, but I know. I, I can tell you position wise who I'm focused on and those names. Sure, yeah. Whatever you whatever you feel like sharing. Uh tight end, Theo, Theo Johnson. Yep. Uh offensive tackle. He has like a kind of weird it's like um Ibrahim Traore. Yes, him. That one. I'm glad you know that one. <laughs> um uh Aaron, AJ Parks. Okay, yep. Um him. I was just trying to get some of those old ta- some of the old linemen in. You know, that that definitely helped the team out and you know, we can build a, a monster O line. Oh, um one of my boys, um I met at the uh I met at the opening finals, Keandre Lambert. Oh, Keandre Lambert, yeah, at uh at uh that wide receiver, he's a guy that, that's been talked about here for a while. You, you, so our target board is, is pretty accurate because the names you're mentioning uh, are the names that we've talked about. Theo Johnson at tight end. Uh, Aaron Parks spent some time in the Penn State class. And Ibrahim Traore, there's been some speculation that he might commit before the season. So, uh, you know, and Keandre Lambert made an official visit to Penn State as well. So a lot of big names there. Now, now you talked about embracing competition. It, sound, it seems like Penn State may not be done at the running back spot yet in this recruiting class you might have some company in this class that you, that you end up on campus with as a freshman. Is that something that you're aware of and, and that you're comfortable with? I'm I'm guessing you are by the way you talk about competition. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure. I think one of my uh, I, I know one of the guys down here came on me from Florida. He might go, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Trying to get him, but you know, like I said, competition is, is competition everywhere. So that does, that doesn't bother me because I still got to compete now in high school. So. Kevon Lee, who you mentioned, is a name that we, we think will be committing to a school within the next few weeks. Penn State is up there for him. Um, I want to leave you with this question. What are your big-time goals uh, personally for this final high school season that you have in front of you? And and when do you plan to arrive at Penn State and begin your college career? I would say my individual goal this year is to at least run for 2,000 yards rushing, get about – 30 touchdowns this year and you know just overall be a leader for my team and you know be that guy and you know take our take our teams to, to the next level and to the state championship and win and um i will start my college career at penn state uh when i graduate okay and is that looking like a, a normal like like graduation yeah. or yeah okay the end of may beginning of june all right, so you'll be in State College next summer. Uh, you can have all the creamery ice cream you want until the ta- staff tells you to stop, and, uh, and and you'll be underway, man. But we'll be sure to catch up with you along the way. Really excited to get to know you better, introduce you to some of these Penn State fans on a larger scale, and uh, and we'll keep watching for the highlights on a week-to-week basis down there at Coco. Uh, wishing you a happy and healthy senior season, and again, congratulations on your college commitment. Thank you. There you have it, Keziah Holmes out of Cocoa High School down in Florida will be making his way to Penn State in 2020. And, and what an impressive offensive backfield Penn State has put together. A lot of pieces there, a lot of interesting uh, scenarios you could see playing out with those running backs, Slade, Ford, Brown, Kane, and, and you add a guy like Keziah Holmes to the mix, maybe a Kevon Lee, Jalen Berger still out there, and 
Um, it, it's really impressive what Penn State has been able to accomplish recruiting that position and how those players have also produced on the football field lately for this program. That's going to do it for us here on this podcast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, it was a journey uh, before we got to the Florida conversation, starting on the practice fields of Penn State. Got a chance to, to dig into a bunch of what we saw, and we get 10 minutes on, on Wednesdays, and we try to maximize the most of that. Mark, Sean, and myself, a bunch of coverage online 24-7 right now. We got our VIP notes from practice, went even more in-depth than, than what you've heard here on the show. Uh, we've got a bunch of photos on there. Really interesting to see some of these freshmen and, and how advanced they are physically already. And then you throw in some of these redshirt freshmen who've had a year in the program. Uh, get a look for it yourself online. It's 24-7. And you can see James Franklin's entire post-practice media session. Uh, all the questions, all the answers right there for you as well. So bring yourself onto the field a little bit, just as we try to do here on every edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. For now, we'll step away. We'll come back next week. We'll be a few more days closer towards another commitment. We'll be a few more days closer to kickoff. And it's about to get really real real soon for Penn State football. Thanks for joining us. I'm Tyler Donahue for Sean Fitz, wishing you all the best.